I went into our CEO at that time and said that um, now we are ready to win Electlux. He used the F word and said to me that leave his office as quick as possible. Welcome to today's episodes of the Megadeals podcast. In the studio, it's me, David, and the author of the Megadeals book, Christopher Engman. And today we also have a unique guest for you. I don't know about you listeners out there, but sometimes when I meet with new people, it feels like it's easier to connect and, and you tend to connect on a deeper level almost instantly. It feels like you've known the person for a longer period of time even if you just met. I know for a fact it's not only me who experienced that when interacting with our guest for the first time. He is not only a great person, but also come highly experienced and with deep knowledge around orchestrating large and complex B2B deals again and again. Let's join in on a mega welcome to Tony Bergström. Thank you very much. Uh, very honored to be here. And we are extremely honored to having you. Yeah, be a great day. Tony, you've done many, many mega deals, right? So where is the drive coming from? Have you always had it? Um, I think it's come from my background in sports. Um, I like to win. Right. Mm. I hate to lose. <laughs> Ask my children and wife. <laughs> They uh, are the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we compete on everything because you you played uh, basketball on a on the, on highest, on the highest, highest level. swedish league yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, i did yeah but then sports have always been part of my life right in some way um golf or whatever but golf is not a sport guys i know you <laughs> both play kidding? golf That's golf the, is not a that's sport. That's the best sports no, of them all. I no, must it's say like today. saying dart is a sport. Yeah. <laughs> it's gardening or what? <laughs> uh, we take that uh, offline then. We can have a boxing. Um, yeah, I know you've done boxing. Yeah, or we, you we, do still? Uh, no, no not, now it's you more do. golf, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, but but um, uh, so, so we have a guy sitting in uh, our office. He's doing esports. Joachim. Yeah, yeah. So he was asking me, I hope you listen to this, Joachim. He was asking me, Christopher, do you consider esport being a sport? I'm like, no, no way. He was like, really? I'm like, no, it's not a sport. Of course it is. <laughs> you have to widen your spectrum. You're of... sitting with a joystick. It's not a sport. <laughs> joystick. Oh, oh, my God. How old are you, man? So, um, I mean, um, this is so interesting, I think, because uh, Tony and I have something in common. Yes, we have. That you don't have. Right. Golf. No. And, and that's golf, but it's also, we've both been police officers. Oh, if you've been police officers as well? Yes. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. two mega dealers, yeah, yeah. and both of them have been police officers. Yeah. That's maybe the new thing. Is it thing. because you two are so intimidating that your, your, your customers are? What is it? Why, why is it a good combination? First, <laughs> I, I, got a, I got a question when I, because... I when I finished school, right uh, after P 
put my sneakers on on the shelf. Uh, and you mean police? Air, Air Jordan sneakers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I started finance and right. became ah. a salesperson. I was actually in the beginning of uh, the middle of the 80s when the, you know this uh, mobile phones exploded right. Right. with NMT and, yes. and yeah. So so I was part of that. Right. That. Um, Startups of all the mobile phone companies in in Sweden at that time. Um, so I was in sales, and then I was convinced by some of my friends, the best thing in life could be was a police officer. You have a lot of free time. You can mm. be with your kids and so on. It, it seems you can put the sneakers on again. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. No. So <laughs> when I was asked to go back to the the, the sales. Uh, I got a question from from the one of the sales manager. What? How? I mean, what's coming between being a sales guy and a police officer? So uh. We we both have a need to help people. Yeah, right? the solution looks a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, the really good policemen are very helpful. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, and you, you, you quite easily. I mean, fast. You, you need to understand what's going on, right? It's yeah. a lot of risk mitigation. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, it's it, you come with a strong brand. Yeah. Everybody knows about it. Some yeah. some yeah. people hate it. Some yeah. people love it. Mm. It depends on the situation. And I, I think you can find many sim- similarities right. actually. Um, there's there's another thing. I think a lot of good policemen, at least, have a mm. very good judgment. Yeah. And something we've come across when we interview people like you, Tony, yeah. is that. So, so your category of mega dealers are, are very trustworthy, mm. uh, transparent, one authentic, uh, and all those characteristics you also find among great law. Would you call them lawmakers? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, um, so, you, you, I, I think some people might listen to this and think, well, the mega deals might be this sleazy. Is absolutely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like. Sure. I haven't met one mega dealer that no. is that category. No. You don't find them either here no. because trust is such a pivotal Correct. part of, of of doing mega deals that you can't fake that. Mm. Mm. No, you're right. What would you say, Tom? I agree totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, one of, uh, I think something I have gained or have given me a lot of knowledge. I have had the opportunity to have a mentor mm. Mm. and I think without knowing I think most mega dealers have in some right. way a coach or mentor right. because it's critical for, it have been critical for me at, at least mm. running all this big complex business so with your experience I know you have a lot of great stories and I especially think about when you approached against all odds and in the end, managed to sign a big account. Can you please tell us a bit how it all started when you approached Electrolux? For sure. Um, it was a time when I had been winning a lot of deals. So my self-confidence was really, really high, to be honest. And of course, as an orchestrator, you need also to have a good team behind you. But me and the team had uh, closed a uh, couple of good deals, not mega deals, but at least global deals that in the long term turns into be mega deals. So my pipelines was a little bit empty. Um, so I was figuring out by myself what should be the next goal to win. 
and I always have seen Electrolux on, on you know, top 10 list, this most uh, customer the, the company really would like to have. And I have seen other sales colleagues. Um, they haven't been able to connect with, uh, with Electrolux in a good way. But I went into our CEO at that time and said that um, now we are ready to win Electrolux. He used the F word and said to me that leave his office as quick as possible. Wow. <laughs> but I said, no, no, I will not do that because now is the, the right time to do something with Electrolux. Uh, I have met one person in an event in Stockholm, so I can see that, or I can hear from his question, this probably are some openings, but I'm not sure. And, and you, sorry, were you in, at Siemens at this? Yeah, I okay. was in Siemens at that. So what year is this? This is uh, 2009. Okay. And I, and I also said to my CEO, Mats, that I need one resource and he said, once again, leave my office. I will not inv- <laughs> invest any dollars in that account. We have failed so many times. And I said, now that the- end. Yeah, exactly. And mm. I said, now it's time to win. Mm. So I convinced him to give me one resource for one month. And, and he said, if you can accomplish to have 30 contacts so you can build up the ecosystem, in one month, then you can continue. So Sverker is the name, my my good colleagues. We sat down uh, and and we start to map the ecosystem. Mm. We also did uh, messages mm. that we should have in each meeting. If we met some from IT, we had special messaging. Right. Uh, if we met some from the business, we had a different messages. But we also said to ourselves, we need always to give the persons or the persons some value or educate them mm. in each meeting. So we don't just ask for a meeting and, and start to ask this, uh, what to keep you awake at night, right, what's right. your pain and that type of questions. So, so sharing some insights. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, after a month, I went back to the CEO and said, I think we have a really good opportunity to do something mm. good at mm. Electrolux. Uh, and he asked for the names and I pre- presented the names and he said, okay, uh, what's the next step? And, and uh, I said, now we need to be more specific. We need to uh, look for stakeholders. We need to do a much, much better job in the ecosystem. Mm. Also set up the tactics mm. for winning this account. We need more resources mm. and so on. A question on the ecosystem there. Uh, did you uh, connect with people outside of Electrolux as well? Uh, or was it 100% internal contacts? No, it was, it was actually a mix because we know that they have um, a, a supplier for for um, this type of um, solution that we're selling in mm. the product lifecycle managed mm. PLM domain. Mm. This was an Indian company. So I contacted their CEO and set up a meeting. And they're a professional services company? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. System integrator, mm-hmm. SIs. So I set up a meeting with their CEO and asked for a meeting. And we start to discuss how we can partner. Mm. If we could see mutual win-win, not only for us, but also for Electrolux. Right. And we could we can actually see that, 
And then we said, let's go together and, and, and make sure that we plant these messages inside Electrolux together. Mm. They have their ecosystem. Mm. We're trying to build, we was on the way building up our ecosystem and mm. finding stakeholders and try to identify our blockers and so on. But because it, in that time, our biggest competitors were all over the place in Electrolux and had a good relationship on the executive levels and so on. So they were well infiltrated. Absolutely. Right. And the Indian uh, system integrator, what, what, just out of curiosity? Uh, Wipro. Wipro, okay. Yeah, yeah Wipro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's 2009. You are kind of high on life and uh, high confidence because you are on a roll. And and we know that when you have signed a lot of deals, you tend to sign even more deals. So you're in a flow right now, right? So you step into the office uh, of, of your leader and say, I want to go after Siemens. But what was the thing that, except it was a, a great challenge, of course, to sign uh, that company, did you look for any compelling reason for them to buy from you or look at their key initiatives or something like that? Or was it more like a gut feeling that now it's time to conquer Electrolux? It's a combination, to be honest. Uh, after working with Electrolux, uh, I think now it's in the February time frame, mm. uh, we have heard rumors that they was going to hire a new uh, group CTO, Chief Technology mm-hmm. Officer. And we know that they was running a key uh, initiatives r- around ERP system, but mm-hmm. they were also planning for a PLM. So we, because as we were so active in the account, we mm. got a lot of information around that coming mm. PLM um, process that we're going to start. Right. And for the listeners who don't know what PLM is. Yeah, it's a product lifecycle management. Uh, it's, um, yeah, an end-to-end solution for product. Uh, from the idea to you make a product obsolete, to be honest all the process behind right. and especially for companies with fairly complex products with a lot of components and yeah you have to have service down the line it's right yeah car manufacturers yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and and your high tech is really yeah. big now yeah. nowadays um appliances bone, bone manufacturers yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you say it comes from discrete manufacturing industry mm-hmm. but now it's coming in almost every mm. industry um so we know that there was something coming up that we could hook on. Um, the other thing was that we know our biggest competitor, the competitor that they used on a global basis, um, had some problem. They, they, there was some from a technology point. Was that so? Yeah, it was that so? Okay, okay. Yeah, it was a little bit behind us right. when it comes to collaboration platform from R and D mm. perspective. Mm. How can you work 24-7? So we knew it was an open window for us mm. to, to start having special messaging around that and other things, of course. So that that's um, how we built up our uh, st- yeah, approach, a story around mm. this. So the starting position and yeah. the network. Yeah. yeah. Great. And, and I love how you describe how you started to map and also create messaging so early for each and every situation or meeting or depending on what type of stakeholder exactly yeah. you're meeting uh, and, and 
so it, you and Svarker, uh, did you actually have 30 meetings uh, in a month? Or was it... No. No. No, that, that, that's, that uh, is not what happened. We had met 30 people, but in some meetings there yeah, were more seven, than one yeah. person. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah. For mm. instance, uh, when we met the R&D manager for dish care, the dish machines, mm. I, think, I think he brought in five, six people. So. Right. But right. of course we named them. Right. And yeah, put yeah, them on course. our list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when you come back one month later, uh, your your leader said, okay, you got to go ahead. You can uh, continue to approach yeah. And, yeah. and build tactics. Yeah. Okay, so. So they have a, they have a key initiative around potentially switching ERP right. and also PLM. Mm-hmm. Mm. You have a handshake with Bipro, the system integrator. Right. Yeah. You have the 30 contacts. Just uh, again, out of curiosity, mm. um, out of those 30, did you already then figure out a few of them that would be your Trojan horses that would feed you with information uh, a bit undercover? Yeah, we we had actually two of them. Okay. Yeah. At that time right. already, yeah. Hmm. That we convinced that our solution or we brought more value to Electrolux than hmm. the, their supply they had already in, in place, yeah. So, so did you get more resources now when you have showed that you have these 30 contacts internal and outside of the buyer's organization? Yeah, because then you can see, you can say that we have uh, qualified this right. opportunity now. Right. There are some substantial possibility that yeah. we can mm. win this. Mm. So then I got uh, a bigger team, mm. uh, more focus on, um, let's say, pursuits and the, how to run this type of uh, opportunities going from nothing to a lead and now an opportunity mm. and then we switch a little bit of the reason i mean sverker is, is is uh he has his strength in the beginning of a sales processes mm. so sverker was of course still a part of of um, how we built up the opportunity mm. but uh, they come come in more people with other skills for for instance, uh, technology salespeople, uh, right. product managers, uh, and what I could say nowadays, when you know what, you, as you uh, we said, this is not two, beginning of two thousand ten. Mm. This social selling or account based marketing, this type of uh, support sales have today that didn't didn't exist at that mm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we did a lot of our own white papers uh, and so on. Yeah. Okay, so, so now you have your resources in place and you have qualified it. So what was the, the next step? There was, a, as a team, develop special skills, how we drive meetings with Electrolux. Um, because we got more and more understanding what they was looking for. So in every meeting, we said that uh, in the last meeting, or we have been informed that this is something you need with your future solution mm. and if we do it like this have we, we met your expectations though mm. so that was a question you rotated in every meeting exactly mm. uh, in really? every meeting we had this mm. type of um, way of driving the meeting mm. so we always and then they obviously tell you right exactly mm. yeah. and if if we have interpreted the question or the needs mm. wrong mm. They will correct us in that yeah, meeting, yeah, yeah. and of mm. course, we change our presentation or our way to show them 
um, the solution. Just a quick comment there. So, so I sometimes see people that are too, um, they they spend too much time asking what keeps you awake at night and those kind of, those kind of questions, which is annoying top decision makers in particular. Mm, sure. And then you have the other category, which is too much lecturing the to the mm. customer. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but you kind of combined it. You were probing with your insights and your understanding of their needs, but you also added the questions in the end to, to f- empty them of their, yeah the, so, the delta, basically. Exactly. So we always get the confirmation that we are on the right path mm, mm. or we have misunderstood part of it right. and they correct us. Mm. So we ha- they put mm. us on the right mm. path. So finally, in April, they came out with an RFI mm. that uh, eventually became an RFI. Right. But uh, when we had this... And how long was the RFI period? Uh, it's extremely short because in the okay. PLM... It's uh, like two in, months or... Uh, from from RFE to signing contract, seven months. Okay, so that's pretty mm. fast. That's really fast. No mm. one believed that actually right. that right. was mm. going to happen. Mm. Um, what delayed was... Delayed the, the, the process was a little bit that the biggest competitor of Electrolux at that time in Europe was Siemens. Mm. And we represent Siemens mm. as a brand, right? Mm. So, mm. <laughs> when the when the um, steering committee recommend to go ahead with Siemens, mm. they were a little bit nervous. So it actually went up to the board level for mm-hmm. for the final decision. But I would like to share is that this tactic we used during the meetings we had and mm. always get confirmation that we are understanding the needs and what they mm. want to accomplish or not. Or not, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. During the final RFP presentation, there was about 56 and 60 Electrolux uh, people in that meeting mm. with a scorecard. Afterwards, we, of course, got a lot of information how we win and what they thought about our presentations and performance, of course. Right. But one really good thing that they share, share with, with us mm. was after our, our RFP presentation, mm. One guy rose, uh, stand up, and, and was screaming to his colleagues, "Who have given given them the information? <laughs> their scorecard, but because it was full point on every yeah. every score. Yeah, with enough contacts and using that probing technique, you obviously got their scorecard indirectly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that shows how important it is uh, uh, that don't lecture yeah mm-hmm. or ask for for or only open questions yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Um, the blend is mm-hmm. key. Yeah. yeah smart and also interacting with enough people mm-hmm. so something we often see david and i and, and the team is that people like you i mean not you because you're very accomplished but people that are not like you yet mm-hmm. they overestimate the importance of two three stakeholders mm-hmm. so they put too much bets on too few horses whereas in a large matrix organization like Electrolux or an IBM or something, yeah. you need to build a, quite a vast network of contacts. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, it, it's a very clever strategy because you, you, you gather the information and you, and you also get them to say uh, on a regular basis what, what, what you are doing right. And, you, um, and, and then... It's hard to back out, right? So if you, mm. at the end of the day, sit with a lot of good scoring, um, then um, 
yeah, it's, it's ex- extremely hard to say, okay, you have the best scores, but we don't going to pick you anyway right, for some right. reason, right? No. So, so it's a very, very good tactic. Thank you for sharing that. And how, how long, so when you came into that RFP presentation, there was about 65 people in the room. So, so how long time did you get as an allocation? I think it was a one and a half hour presentation okay. and right. 30 minutes uh, question from the audience. And did you present the one and a half hour or did you have a team presentation? Or how we we was actually a team. Right, so right. I did the, the introduction mm-hmm. and also finish up the right. the, the meeting. Um, but then I have colleagues uh, because so, sometimes I was describing how we meet the uh, process, R&D mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. and so on. So, right. so it's a mix of value and technology. Right. Did you just out of curiosity? Did you talk anything about Dassault? No, nothing. Okay. Nothing. Just indirectly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, knowing what they are and what they do, you, yeah, you yeah. intentionally, I guess, planted a few, yeah, things without. Of course, we we know their weakness. Of course, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's we push a little bit extra for. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But without uh, saying exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's telling them how important this type of. Support. And what happens if you don't support that which does or couldn't support? Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I are of this opinion. If I get one and a half hour, mm. then I spent one and a half hour telling about myself or my company. Mm. I will not not spend one minute or a second to talk about my competitors. Right. Right. No. Just uh, they have their own window yeah. that they mm. can yeah. be mm. <laughs> telling their stories where they can shine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's I like think Zlatan, he, he only talks about other player when he get a direct question about <laughs> another player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think it's a good strategy. So now you've had the RFP presentation and you got feedback on the on the scorecard and that was very positive. What happened next? Then the negotiation started. Mm. Uh, and were you alone in the negotiation or did they keep us so in parallel? Uh, they kept us in parallel. Right. When the RFI pro- process started, they have invited eight vendors. Mm. So the, for the final RFP presentation, um, it was um, actually PTC was involved right. as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but for the final That's negotiation the phase, it was okay. us and Dassault. Mm. And they, to be honest, I, I thought it, should be hard for them to exclude them because they were already in-house as a mm. right global provider of PLM software. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and were all three also in the negotiation process, or only you and Dassault? Uh, it was only Dassault right. and, and ours. Right. Yeah. And did they keep Dassault just to keep the pressure on you, or was it really a, a, a battle until the goal line? I think I am sure it was. A, uh, I know it was a battle. Mm. Um, all the way, all the way mm. into uh, the Swedish word cockle. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> into the cockle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the swim lane. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you have to swim all the way. To because the I know, I mean, didn't have been supply for Electrolux for twenty twenty five years, something right. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, v- very well established on executive level and so right. on. So, um, I mean, if you if they, you need to be so much better. So the, the, the so they are yeah, taking e- the equal risk. Equal is not enough. Obviously. No, no, equal no, no. is absolutely not. 
No. Just a bit better is not enough either, no. right? No. Uh, because they're all always a, a risk. Cost. Yeah. It's mm. cost and a risk. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and um, but we tried uh, already already from from the beginning mm. to talk about expectation management and risk management. Right. Right. Uh, because we know the the internal political game yeah. started the same moment to send this RFI documents out. Let's elaborate a bit on, on risk. I mean, we we often say value and differentiation brings you through the door. Risk mitigation is closing the mega deals. Yes. Can you talk about that in the Electrolux perspective and the Siemens deal? Yeah, but we identified a lot of risk uh, if we put ourselves in an Electrolux mm. uh, position. Mm-hmm. The brand of itself, mm-hmm. of course, uh, is, is a risk uh, for them to to uh, do close the deal with us. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because, I mean, Siemens and, and Electrolux in the appliance business is head Right, to head. right, and there are the divisions there. Yeah, exactly. They're competitors, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, they have a dish. Yeah. They, they are Even a dish. You were from the software side, it's still a feeling of competition. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have the same brand. Right. Mm. And as they always said, on the fifth floor, the European sales organization was sitting... Mm. Um, they were not so keen to have the biggest competitor in the same office, mm. to be right. honest. Right. So we had to um, manage that political internal mm. game that we know went on mm. uh, and, and uh, try to, we always explain for them how we are so separated from, right. from the Chinese the, wall mm. between. Exactly. Right. And, and we we uh, gave them words that uh, what every information they will give on us mm. will stay in our uh, division. Which is true, right? It right. is, I mean, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't operate. No, no, no. Ab- yeah. no. And, and we compared to the automotive industry where yeah. we had uh, General Motors as customer. We have also Ford as customer. Right, right. Volvo cars and, you know. Yeah. So so we are very familiar with this type, right. ha- handle this type mm. of risk and IP rights and mm. where, of course, as a, from a, if you put yourself in a customer's perspective, what happens with my IP? Right. If I share all this information, yeah. because we would have access directly. Yeah. For to all very this sensitive and information, not released information. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. their visions, the strategy yeah. around yeah. products, and so on. Already on the drawing board. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because we are really then in to yes. the R and D organization. Yeah. 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 Another risk also that is that we also put a lot of energy is that one of the drives for them was to have a 24-7 R&D platform. So mm. when people work in the U.S., uh, the people in Sweden were sleeping. Mm. How can we secure the information going from, from different regions mm. within our uh, infrastructure and software? Right. How can we make sure that it doesn't leak anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that was also, but that's more product related, right? Risk and uh, risk, uh, risk mitigation. Yeah. 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 So, so, and just out of curiosity, we we typically recommend that you proactively introduce a risk mitigation workshop in the sales process even before the customer is asking for it. That doesn't mean you did that, but how did you practically? do the, the things around risk mitigation, around the brand, around uh, the, 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 the geographical distance with the sensitive information, all that. Did you have specific meetings or workshops or how did you, or documents or what did you do in practice? If I, if I had done it today, mm-hmm. I had been doing it in that way. 
Right, mm. a proactive workshop. It, mm. Very proactive yeah. workshop. Yeah. Um, mm. In that days, uh, it was more that you prepared yourself for this type of question. So you, when you got a question, you, you answered directly. Right. So there was no um, waiting. Right. It just, it just push out the question mm. directly. So they felt that we were self-confident mm. and we... So we built, tried to build up trust on, on in that way, instead. right? But a bit more reactive. Yeah. So exactly. wh- why would you uh, why would you do it proactively with what you know based on what you know now? Because that's really important. Because uh, as you mentioned before, um, salespeople have the behavior talking about unique selling points and mm-hmm. value and, and so on, and and that's what everyone does. Mm-hmm. So if you want to sh- uh, be different. Uh, than your competitors. This is a really good approach mm. to, to, to set up these uh, risk meetings right. proactively. Yeah, yeah. Because by the end of the day, before they sign, they need to go yeah, through that process. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's better to do any, it in bigger decisions. Like, like I mean, bigger decisions, you don't avoid it. No. So even when you know it will come, it's better to bring it up before because that instills a lot of trust. Uh, that you as a sales team brought it up before they asked for it. Yeah, and that the, the that credibility and credibility. Trust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I also think that we know more today than we mm. did at that time right. about yeah. how important it is, mm. and, and also linked to how our brain works because mm. we know more about the brain for the last three to ten years than. We have uh, known about the brain uh, ever yeah, before, yeah, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's the Kahneman study, exactly. among yeah. other things, That's like I mean. a loss yeah. aversion where you have two and a half times stronger uh, inclination to avoid risks than the will to gain advantages. Exactly. So that's a two factor of two and yeah. a half. Mm. So now yeah. when we know that, we yeah. could apply that into sales and marketing, right. which you've done uh, great in, in the book, yeah. I would say, also in the Megadins book. Yeah. Right. yeah. How, how long from... You got uh, the the month to sh- show uh, <laughs> or prove, I would say, uh, to your your leader to to actually signing. And how big was the deal? Um, it was actually twelve months. Oh. Mm. Yeah, almost twelve months mm. on the day. To mm. be, to be mm. honest, cool. And and uh, the 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 natural deal was about eight nine million dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because initially, initially, yeah, uh, and then it grew. Yeah, exactly. I've been growing all the time. Yeah, exactly. mm. but that time customers didn't want to pay up front uh, for licenses mm. as they normally have done mm. for many, many years. Mm. Uh, so the, the deal was more divided in in phases, mm. but um, in the contract value then it's a really much, much higher mm. value. Mm-hmm. And over year by year by year, mm. so yeah. Mm. Now, now it's someone else that run that account. Did you know what the end amount ended up with? Yeah, uh, it's not still right. Still, still running. Still, still running. Yeah. 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 Mm. Cool. Cool. Mm. I mean, in, in a way, it's not that important, right? The initial value. Um, it, it's always fun to sign a big deal, but here the the interesting part here is it's the complexity and how right. how you managed to do something that everyone thought was impossible. So, right. I mean, yeah. the, the mindset you go in with, mm-hmm. I think that's the mm-hmm. coolest thing here, right? right. To to really challenge uh, the status quo, 
is what you actually do when you say, I want to go after this customer and, you, and your leader said, no way, get out of my office, right? Mm. But you still keep pushing and that's But a, that's an cool. eight, nine million dollar software deal might be equivalent to a hundred million dollar hardware deal. Correct. Like, yeah. Because there's such a difference in... in right. Uh, in, in um, margin and, and complexity. Mm. So and a lot of the... 11 years ago as well. So. I mean, a lot of the Siemens and SAP and those kind of deals are... I mean, you look at the, the deal size is, is not in the billion dollar level. Mm. I mean, it can be, but mm. it's very unusual. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it's so much more complex than... Mm. I mean, just take the other extreme, selling raw steel to a car manufacturer for $1 billion. That might be a transactional deal. Yeah. Mm. Right? It can be Correct. super simple. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So just for the listeners, the way we define a mega deal is that it's uh, the amount is one thing, uh, the complexity is a bigger thing. Mm. So so selling a repeat order of raw steel, mm. uh, the fifth consecutive year of another one billion dollar raw steel to a car manufacturer, that is that is typically just a call off. Mm. Mm. That's a very simple transaction. Yeah, mm. might be some small negotiation, but. Mm. Yeah, I think some some people just, they see themselves as mega dealers because they they are uh, just taking orders mm. <laughs> or they they are right. you know get getting the mm. the um, the sales. It's like birds flying into their mouth. Mm. But this is like hard work. Yeah, what you showed here. And the first deal is always the trickiest. Yeah, right for sure. Yeah, to build up yeah. that trust and everything. Whereas the a lot of the margin might lie in the follow-on orders yeah. but the yep. the, yep. the accomplishment <coughs> is is bigger yeah. to to yeah. win that first yeah. contract typically typically yeah but uh, and you need to understand also that when you combine software and service uh, mm. over over 15 years mm. then you have a lot of a lot of money coming in yes yeah yeah, mm. yeah. but after that electrolux deal uh um, because uh, we've been working together in, in yeah. another constellation before yeah so your team at Siemens, so so I was running an account-based a marketing company and your team at Siemens was definitely top three, top five. Uh, and we worked with over 100 Fortune 500 companies Yeah. in how you apply the account-based marketing. But yeah. that was after the Electrolux deal. Absolutely. And you were very involved in that from, yes, the, for, from the sales side together yeah. with the marketing team. Yeah. I saw the strength in it. Yeah. And you're, you, you, I mean, you, you were really early to, to re- do really smart stuff around the campus marketing yeah. with your company-specific landing pages mm. where you collected account-specific documents and you ran the IP target ads to that, to yeah. Volvo and those kind of accounts. Exactly. Uh, and and uh, Coco. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah to, to, to win the, the consensus war. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think we were a little bit early adopters. Yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You were early. And, and not just early. You were also uh, very fast, sophisticated. Because mm-hmm. as, as I've worked with so many, I can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, some did a very simple approach where you, you really, you, and you really managed to integrate the sales and marketing around those large deals very early. You're definitely one of the front runners. Yeah, and, and you can... And well, with people uh, f- like Karin Jonkov and exactly. Helena Sveding and those yeah. uh, on the marketing side. Yeah, they did a really good job and, and um, very proactively um, became part of mm. our, our deals mm. uh, in a way we didn't have done before. Right. So um, that was a really good way how to integrate marketing to sales and, and sales into marketing mm. that 
and not just generate leads. No, no, absolutely no. not. No, no, <laughs> rather win deals. No, actually, and, and uh, there was actually KPIs on that, yeah. and we can see that it really paid off. Right. Yeah. Right. And what kind of KPIs were you monitoring? Well, I should probably uh, remember, but I don't. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a click, as you say, mm-hmm. and also that we tag every uh, market activity to closing deals, so yeah, we yeah. can see that yeah. this account. Based marketing yeah. activity closed the deal. Right. So we can we measure it in actually in dollars as well. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And also looking at how many people from an Atlas Kafka that was on the web and, yeah. and yeah. volume of ads and yeah exactly. So I think you also were registering downloads from that account and things like that. Uh, how many times they visit our land pa- mm-hmm. land pages mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, websites and so. And for for many listeners, this probably is kind of yeah, we do that already. Yeah, but this this is like ten years ago. This is so also were, 2010. Yeah, yeah. So so, so oh, actually 12. Sorry, yeah. 12. Yeah, so yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. So so uh, you were pretty early with mm-hmm. what is now. I mean, most companies still don't do that. I mean, okay. but but mm. but in the mega deal category, a lot to. of them are. Yeah. yeah. But you were kind of eight years before mm. the curve. Yeah. yeah, and since you were uh, an earlier adopter in that sense, what is the early adopter uh, doing today? Tony, the Tony of today, what are you doing now? Well, um, by reading the book, um, you understand the power of social selling or enterprise social selling, and and um, from my own business what what that I'm running today mm. that will be key mm. if we would like to grow as we plan to grow without social selling we need to hire capcom five six six persons mm. Mm. Uh, and and I, I'm convinced that there will that will be a much lower pr- um, process mm. cost a yeah those five would be slower than adding marketing and social selling. yeah exactly yeah. Mm. Mm. cost more right mm. And and um, by the end of the day, I think um, if we are not uh, using the the different social platform today, mm. it will be hard for us to grow and and, and right. become the advisor we would like to be mm-hmm. in in the cost management area. And in that context, you and the team have an advantage because you you, you are so insightful into exactly. into that space that it's quite easy to create small videos and articles mm. and posts, etc. Yeah, to right. to drive the thought leadership. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you drove thought leadership back in two thousand and nine when doing these different messaging for different persons in the ecosystem of uh, Electrolux. So yeah. um, you have that mindset yeah. uh, already, and you have had it for a long time. And to Christopher's point, you just take that all the great content and you just push it out through new uh, and different ways, depending on where where the customers are. Right. Yeah, and that's great. And your business today is still connected to Siemens, but now it's an external company, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we are a partner for one piece of the software we right. sold, uh, just focused on cost management, right? Product cost management, I would mm. say. So we we um, help our customers to be more accurate in negotiation around price and so on. Right. Mm. What kind of customers could that be? Um, yeah, it can be in the automotive industry. We have the biggest company in the big, uh, as a part, the customers, mm. um, tier one supplier. Mm. We have, um, 
for instance, companies like Husqvarna, mm. Plastal, Electrolux. Mm. And, it, and it's a software that, that actually brings the cost down, or how does it work? Uh, we have a little bit different approach because Siemens can sell the software, but we have the knowledge around how right. to build up an organization, how to um, the, the process. Mm. We have the know-how mm. that uh, Siemens is missing. So we do both uh, management consultant mm. and uh, we can add software. Or so you have a margin on the software and then you also make money on the services. Yes, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, guys, time flies when you're having fun. And and as you said, you can't win everything, but you won my and Christopher's vote. And, and this has been a very, very good session. And thank you. I think you won a lot of listeners out there as well. And we usually ask our guests for their favorite book or books. And if they can recommend another mega dealer that we can interview in an upcoming podcast. Well, I, I'm not the guy that reads a lot of books. I mean, I, I usually say pictures tells more than than mm. words. So, mm. um, but but I I have read your book twice, so that that's a, thank you. <laughs> it's a good point for you. Uh, when it comes to mega dealers, um, they are a person that I think is a really good mega dealers. Uh, his name is Sia Sanguri. Mm. He uh, is a person that have closed a lot of deals in US uh, have been working with uh, Apple Microsoft mm. and mm. so on. and uh, was he a colleague at Siemens yeah okay. yeah exactly mm-hmm. um, I, I really I can I can give you his spelling his right name mm. right for you afterwards but he's in my view a really mega dealer so. mm. cool perfect great thank you so much yeah thanks for today Tony thank you very much nice to be here So, Christopher, we have a series of really interesting upcoming episodes and we have a trilogy around messaging. Can you elaborate a bit about that? Right. So most B2B companies are still over-investing into lead generation and they're under-investing pipeline uh, marketing and also marketing towards existing accounts. And that means that a lot of content and messaging is developed only top of the funnel. Whereas uh, to really win large deals and mega deals and to reduce the total cost of sales and marketing, you need to look at the full funnel. Um, so what we've done in the book and the research is to structure messaging and content in three different types. So the first one we call fundamental messaging, which is bringing the customer and the customers from a question mark to an exclamation mark. So the change drivers, category choice, subcategory choice, and then why you as a vendor. And most companies here are talking too much about themselves and the slightly better talking about change drivers like pain points, et cetera. And then they too quickly moving to talk about themselves. So we, we uh, teach companies how to add the talk around the category choices and the subcategory choices. And then the, the, the second type of messaging and content is something we call deal closing messaging is when you move the customer from wanting to buy to actually buying. And most senior uh, salespeople know that that part is consuming most time, mm. not the not the first part. So a lot of content and marketing can be developed to take time away from very senior salespeople. And it could be how-to, risk mitigation. Yes. Yeah, so um, like what happens from wanting to buy to buy, 
what happens from signing to going live how is the rest of the journey with the between the customer and the supplier looking like it's also things like things that explain more in depth what you're offering the methods behind business cases etc but also to your point what is mitigating risk reference cases things like that so anything that that is on the list of things that you discuss from the point where you know that the customers have mentally decided they want to work with you until they actually work with you. Right. Looking um, forward to that. And then we have the um, and the, the orientational part. Yeah, the, the third type of messaging uh, is not connected to actually the process. It's uh, We call it orientational messaging because it orients the viewer, the listener, uh, into a smaller topic, which is your topic, but we use a bigger topic to get the attention to the smaller topic. So, so Aston Martin in the yeah, Bond movie. Yeah, the Aston Martin product placement in the Bond movie. So um, the, the the key here is to talk about bigger topics like, so let's say you're selling a, a technology into uh, the green energy category. Then instead of talking about your technology you talk about the green energy category as a whole mm. and you and your peas might be in that bigger category and and also so for example like a good good uh, type of orientational messaging is to write about your primary customer segment and the top companies in it and the top people in it etc to gain mm. their attention so the goal of the the orientational messaging is to increase the audience of what you're selling. Instead of having three people in the room, all of a sudden you have 50 people in the room. Mm, right. Um, so we're going to divide this into three different uh, episodes. Yes, yes. So that's going to be... Really and when fun. we run our workshops, this is consuming a full day normally, but we'll cut it into three 45-minute episodes. And th- these three will be way more methodology-focused than our other episodes. Uh, so And you will also share examples. Pen. Yeah, right. we'll share examples. Yeah. But it'll be more more around how to do things than storytelling. Oh, that's great. And we'll have examples, of course, in there as well. And if you haven't listened to the episode with Jürgen Nilsson, it's a must. It's one of my favorites, actually. Is it, uh, Am I allowed to have favorite? It's okay. Yeah, because Jürgen Nilsson, he's not just an amazing person. He is so knowledgeable and he comes with so many insightful things. He just recently got a super senior role in Oman. He's now shaping another ecosystem. And he, among other things, is the, the shaper of the, the broadband ecosystem. And, and you will hear about how he grew the Vodafone account from, a, from an Ericsson vendor perspective globally. Yeah, that's an amazing journey out of the US. So I truly recommend to, to listen into that episode. Please, please subscribe and also visit megadis.com. And catch you later. <laughs>